I too greet you in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> I want to talk about a, a part of our being this morning, and maybe I'll just start uh, and have you uh, guess what it is by me describing uh, by me describing. Uh, what the Bible says in a negative way about it. I already said, gave you a hint, I said it's part of our being. Uh, some of the negative things the Bible says about this part of our being are, are the, is the fact that it can be evil. It can be seared. I guess that means kind of scabbed over. It can be weak. It can be defiled. What am I talking about? Conscience. The conscience, our conscience. Um, I had written down uh, one title, and then uh, I decided to, to change the title. What, what would you title it? <laughs> um, this is what I'm using for a title this morning. <clears throat> Simply, it's in a general way, and then I'll explain why I'm using this general, general title. The importance of a good conscience. The importance of a good conscience. Now, the fact is, if I counted right, in the New Testament, the conscience is referred to 32 times. So... Um, to you other preachers, why haven't you preached about it recently? <laughs> Maybe you have. I mean, something that that's refer, re, referred to that many times in the New Testament. We probably ought to speak about it uh, once in a while. And it's possible that maybe somebody spoke about it when I wasn't here. I, I realize that. <clears throat> um, but as far as, as uh, positive things, positive descriptive words, I'll say it that way, as far as positive descriptive words, concerning the conscience, the word good is used more often than any other descriptive word. For that reason, I use the title, The Importance of a Good Conscience. Now, maybe sometimes, especially when you were younger, uh, maybe your parent asked you, is your conscience clear? Actually, the word clear is never used in the Bible with the conscience. But, but, I'm, but, but that's okay. I mean, I think it's, it's fine for us to use the word clear um, with the con connected to the conscience. There's many things said about the conscience, and the word clear is, is a good way to think about it sometimes. Um, <clears throat> the word good, in, uh, referring to our conscience, is used, I said, more often than any other descriptive word. In fact, it's used six times. Six times the Bible talks about a good conscience. Uh, why does it use a, a general word like good so, so often? And maybe I shouldn't spend so much time on that, but maybe part of the reason is because, um, you know, when we think about something that's of our mind, something that we can't touch, some part of our being that we can't lay our finger on, you know, it's hard for us sometimes to describe it. 
It's hard for us to, to put words to it. Uh, and so maybe for that reason, the Bible just uses the general word good with it, like I said, six different times. Now, according to the scriptures, uh, you have something to do with your conscience and how good it is. And that's part of what we want to look at, of course, uh, this morning. What is the conscience anyway? And, and so, yeah, I already said, it, 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 since we can't lay our finger on it, we live in the physical, and, but this is a, a, a something of our mind, and it, it, therefore it's, it's hard for us to use words sometimes to, to, to describe it. Someone has said that the conscience is God's deputy in the soul. Uh, or the, the inner judge of moral issues. Or having to do with moral consciousness. In other words, having to do with us realizing right and wrong. Now, I said at the very beginning with that little quiz, um, the Bible used various words that describe the conscience in a negative way. And so because of that, we need to, according to the scripture, develop, if I could use that word, develop our, con our conscience and continue to grow in making, helping our conscience to be better or good. Um, and most of you would, would, would agree that, you know, since we're in the flesh and we're in this old world, that's a job that we continue needing to work on. Uh, we use the word grow and sometimes preach messages about growing, growing in the Lord and growing more Christ-like and so forth. Well, part of that should be uh, developing our conscience so we have... Uh, a more Christ-like conscience or, or a, a, a better conscience or a good conscience. So um, we need to develop it because the Bible does say that there is a possibility of our conscience being evil, being seared, being weak, or being defiled. And does that mean, you know, I, I got one of those and so I just can't help it? I was born that way with that kind of conscience? No, of course, the Bible doesn't imply that at all. But usually in these situations where it uses those negative words to describe the conscience, it's suggesting why the person's conscience was that way. It's because of their lifestyle or the way they do things or the way they think, which is not according to the Bible, which is not according to Christ. So um, we should all have a desire to be able to say with the Hebrew writer there in chapter 13 of Hebrews near the end of the chapter, one verse, uh, he, he said this, pray for us, for we trust 
we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Is that your testimony? Is, is that mine? Or, or would you be here this morning and say, well, you know, um, yeah, I know, you know, my conscience bothers me in this area once in a while, but, you know, my conscience taps me on the shoulder about this sometimes, but, uh, but, but well, I won't finish that, but what? That's a, that, if that's the truth, that, that's a poor way to live. The Hebrew writer said, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. That's a, that's a good testimony. That's just being open before God and before the people he was writing to. <clears throat> well, what are some of the functions of the conscience? One of the things... It does, it, it convicts us of sin. Um, when Jesus, when the, when the men brought the woman caught in adultery to him, and then you know the rest of the story. Um, Jesus, uh, Begin listening and seeing and saw what was happening. And uh, he told them, those of you that are with sin, without sin, uh, cast the first stone at her. And then verse 9, just a chapter 8 of, of John, verse 9 says this. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one. That's what the Bible says. Being convicted by their own conscience. That's one of the jobs. That's one of the functions of the conscience. To convict of sin. Another function of the conscience is uh, you might say to hold us up to uphold us and hold us up in the good and keep us from falling into the evil. Let me read you in, in, in another version, uh, a part of 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 and 19. It says this, By rejecting conscience, shipwreck <clears throat> of their faith, Wow, that, that, that's scary. That's unfortunate. Have you ever rejected your conscience? And I'm sure that if all of you would be honest, you would have to say, yes, there's been times in my life where my conscience tapped me on the shoulder and I just went on my way. I rejected it. Paul said when he was writing to Timothy here, by rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. You see why we need to develop our conscience? We need to continue to allow God and his Holy Spirit to work on our conscience and keep it, keep it good 
the importance of a good conscience? <clears throat> Probably all of you would say, no, I certainly don't want to make shipwreck of my faith. But it happened. And Paul referred to it when he was writing here to Timothy. Um, this is very parallel to that, but our another function of our conscience is to help us simply to do what is right and good. You know, in uh, Romans chapter 13, the beginning of the chapter there where um, Paul is writing about our responsibility to, to the powers that be to the authorities in our, in our lands. And verse 5 of Romans 13 says this, Wherefore, we must needs be subject, talking about subject to the authorities of the country, be subject to them, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And so, you know, you could apply that concept very easily in so many different ways. Let's just put it this way. Um, we older ones, do the younger ones that look, look to us as examples, do they know that uh, we don't break the law just so we don't get a fine or just so we don't get put in jail? Or do they know we don't break the law because I have a conscience against it? Because it's wrong for me to disobey those in authority in the land over me. You see what I'm saying? Do I have a conscience for obedience, or do I disobey just so I don't get caught or, or get locked up or something? You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Paul said that a long time ago. We should obey them not just for their wrath's sake, not because they might bring wrath upon us, but for conscience' sake. God said obey them that are over us in various institutions and situations. <clears throat> Um, another function of the conscience, this is certainly a very positive one, and that is to give joy. To give joy. And most of you could testify to this. When, when a situation came up and your conscience, again, tapped you on the shoulder and told you what to do or what not to do, and you willingly obeyed and it gives joy and peace to your heart second corinthians 1:12 paul said this for our rejoicing is this the testimony of our conscience and then he went on to say, what I mean by this is the fact, this being the fact, in holiness and godly sincerity, by the grace of God, 
we behaved or conducted ourselves among you. And Paul knew that in his heart. He sincerely behaved himself in a proper way. And because of that, the testimony of his conscience gave him joy and rejoicing. That's beautiful. That's, that's how we all ought to live and relate to our conscience. Our rejoicing was this, the testimony of our conscience. Is that your rejoicing? You're rejoicing because of the testimony of your conscience. I hope so. Now, most of you have heard the expression, at least sometime in your life, and maybe many times, let your conscience be your guide. Well, dear people, that certainly has to be qualified. That must be qualified. You can't just say that, period. Because the Bible says, and you've already picked up on this, and maybe I've already said this, but uh, <clears throat> of course we've already mentioned four things that the Bible says is negative about the conscience, and so if, that's, if we're dealing with a conscience like that, then how could that be your guide? Of course it could not be, and you wouldn't want it to be your guide. But the fact is... Uh, the Bible says our, our conscience needs purging or cleaning. Our conscience needs to be subject to others. Uh, our conscience can be fallible or capable of, uh, of making a, a mistake. And so with that in mind, you can't just say, let your conscience be your guide. It may guide you certainly to the wrong place, to the wrong destination, to the wrong conclusion. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let's look at, um, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> And, of course, you know, uh, some of these chapters in here are one of the themes through Hebrews is the fact that Christ is better. Christ is better than the Old Testament. Christ is better than the Old Testament way. It's better than the Old Testament sacrifices and so forth. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9. Let me just quickly read verses 11 to 14. Verses 11 to 14. But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. Purge your conscience. Christ himself working in your heart and life. Christ himself through the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. Will do a work if you allow it to. Will do a work that the Old Testament blood sacrifices could not do and did not do. I mean, they'll clean you up. They'll purge your conscience. They'll not only clean you up on the outside, not only make you look good on the outside. Of course, they could do things in the Old Testament time to make them look proper on the outside. But this is said, this is saying it'll clean up you on the inside. It'll purge or clean your conscience. Suggesting that your conscience can be can need cleaning, can be dirty, can be in a position that it should not be, uh, suggesting it needs improving, it needs developing. Uh, it may need purging or cleaning. So the conscience has its limitations. If your conscience needs purging, then you can't just say, let your conscience be your guide. Until it has been purged and cleaned. <clears throat> Our conscience also is limited by the fact that we can't just say, well, this is how I think or this is how I believe. We are a body. The, 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 the New Testament is all about brotherhood and, and, and body and body parts. And it's not just about me and God. It's about me and my brothers and God. And so our conscience needs to be subject to others. You might could say it, I realize, phrase it in a few different ways, but I'm just saying it that way for now. It needs to be subject to others. Let's just look at a couple of those verses. And, and in my study, in preparation for this, I, I think I, I saw the light on a couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, uh, like I had, had not seen before or had not exactly understood before. 1 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> as you see near the end, and, and, and as you that study the Bible uh, are aware, here toward the end of uh, the middle and end of, of 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about <clears throat> relating to our brothers and sisters, and how our consciences may be different, and how we live together, and how we relate together with that fact in mind. And so, I'm not going to take the time to read all these verses. Uh, maybe that can be your homework. <laughs> I'll explain a couple of things, a couple of the questions that Paul brings out, and then his answer to them. And maybe, maybe you, like me, will, will, be, will see some of these verses in a fresh way. And because of that, uh, I encourage you then to go and just, just study chapter 10 
on your own uh, with maybe some new light. Uh, I'm not suggesting I'm telling you anything new, but, but it, it came to me in a fresh way as I, as, as I looked at this. Um, I'll just tell you some of what it says here rather than reading it. Okay, so he uses an example, and we could use many examples, and he didn't choose to give a lot of different kinds of examples, but one of the examples he gave here was the thing of meat offered to idols. And what he says here is, you know, if you, if a, let's say a sinner or somebody that doesn't necessarily profess to follow God invites you to their house to eat, and... Uh, and you think maybe or you actually are aware that uh, the, the food that he is feeding you was first offered to idols. What should you do about it? Paul says, just, just eat it. I, I mean, the meat is meat. It, it, didn't, it didn't change the meat because it was offered to an idol. Just, just eat it. Just, just, just uh, be a, a kind uh, guest and, and eat his food. Don't offend him by saying, I don't want to eat your food. Just eat it. And then right away he goes and says, but if you're walking down the street one day with your brother, your brother in the church, and here's some meat, and you're getting ready to buy it, and your brother says, hey, hey, we shouldn't buy that meat. We shouldn't eat that meat because it was offered to idols. Then you should say, Okay, I won't, I won't eat that meat. Why should I stand there and buy that meat and eat that meat and offend my brother when my brother feels like I should not eat that meat because it was offered to idols? Why should I offend him? Why should I make him stumble? Paul said you should not. You shouldn't eat that meat then in that case. You could take... These examples, these situations, this situation that Paul speaks about here in the middle and the end of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians and apply it to many areas of life, and I won't go into that this morning. That's why I said uh, maybe you could take this chapter and study it for homework. But let's look then at the questions near the end of the chapter and his answers to them. As you see, verse 29 is a question. Verse 30 is a question. Let me read verse 29 and 30. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? That's a natural question you might have in one or two of the situations I just suggested. Why should I not buy this meat and eat it just because my brother thinks I shouldn't? I already suggested it may offend your brother and it may cause him to stumble. It may cause him to fall. That's good enough reason not to buy it and not to eat it. And Paul knows that these kind of questions will come up. And so he's saying, verse 29, that's a question that will come up. Verse 30, another question. For if by grace, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? 
He said earlier, just, just give thanks and eat it. And so you're saying here, well, you just told me to give thanks and eat it. So if I give thanks and eat it, what, what's wrong with that? He said, of course, that, that's a question that will come up. So he asked these two questions, knowing that in some people's minds, these questions will come up. Then he gives the answers. Verse 31. Here are the answers. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now tell me this. If you are offending someone, or if you are causing someone to stumble or fall, is that living to the glory of God? Of course not. Verse 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Wow. Paul said we should not offend if it's something that the, that the Jews, a custom or something that they have, I, I should try to live not to offend them. If it's something that, that the Gentiles do and, and a custom, I, I shouldn't just be out there trying to cause them to stumble and fall. In other words, I should live in such a way that, that would not cause them to stumble and fall, would not offend them. And he went on to say, he put it right down to present time, the New Testament church, nor to the church of God. He's talking about conscience. I, I didn't count, but he used the word conscience in this passage. That can be part of your homework assignment as you, as you study chapter 10 to just note how many times he used the word conscience in this chapter. <clears throat> Um, we, shouldn't call, we shouldn't do things that would cause a younger one, a weaker one, by the way, he used the word weak in here, a weaker one to stumble and fall or be offended in the church. <clears throat> well, let me read verse 33, the last uh, verse of the chapter. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You know, it's so easy for us to do, well, I just don't feel this way. Well, it doesn't bother me. Why should it bother you? You take care of yourself and I'll take care of myself. Is that, does that sound like body life? Is that what your hand says to your leg? <laughs> uh, you know, no, no. Uh, parts of our body take good care of each other. And Paul just gives such a wonderful testimony in that last verse. Even as I please all men. I, I, I want to please people. I, 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 wanna, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. It's not about me, but sometimes we live like it's about me. <laughs> That's what he says in, in, in the middle of, of, of verse 33, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. 
Well, some of those thoughts I shared there in the last verses are, just struck me in a fresh and new way as I looked at them in preparation for this. Maybe they, may they be a, a help and a blessing to you also. <clears throat> also then, our com- conscience is limited uh, because uh, it can be uh, fallible. In other words, it's capable of making mistakes. You know, the only way your conscience would never make a mistake is if you would go so far as to say, I am perfect. In other words, I'm like Jesus, a perfect person. I do not make mistakes. If, if you can't say that, well then, which I trust most of you can't, or all of you can't, then, uh, then you would have to conclude that your conscience can make a mistake and it's fallible. Um, if I could just bring in a, a, an Old Testament verse here from the Proverbs, Proverbs 16, verse 25 says this, <clears throat> There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How sad it would be, and it is, when, when we go our own way and hoe our own row and do the things that we think are right in our own eyes, at the expense of our brother or sister. By the way, uh, if I could just insert this here at this point, your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Your conscience certainly is not the Word of God. Keep those things in mind. Um, A good conscience or a clear conscience um, is necessary for access to God. Uh, In other words, if we don't have a good conscience, it's going to be hard for us to get close to God. I'm going to turn to a verse or two in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, uh, <clears throat> beginning at verse 19, just 19 through 22. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There I should emphasize the word from. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. In other words, our conscience cleaned up. The sprinkling there had to do with cleaning and washing and purifying. And he used that word, you know, he's mixing Old Testament and New Testament words here, Old Testament and New Covenant words here in in Hebrews. We already talked about that some and comparing the two and contrasting the two and so forth. And so he used the word sprinkling here because they knew something about uh, purifying things and purifying sacrifices and purifying instruments and stuff 
in the Old Testament by sprinkling. It had to do with washing and cleaning them, preparing them, making them right for use. Having our hearts sprinkled or cleaned from an evil, from an evil conscience, to make it good, in other words, to make it pure, to make it washed, to make it clean. And our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> he said all that to say what he started to say in verse 19. Having boldness, therefore, to enter into the holiest. To come close to God. To get into God. To live close to God. And part of it is being, having a good, clean conscience. Verse 22. And you won't have boldness to come close to God if your conscience is dirty. Um... Maybe for lack of time, I won't turn to another couple here, but another uh, um, reason to have a, a clean conscience is so that we can have a clear witness. A clear witness. <clears throat> this is taken from 1 Peter 3, where, where Peter said, we should, we should have an answer to give to others when they ask us of the hope that lies within us, you know those verses? He says that, and then right away he talks about our conscience testifying to that fact. Relating to the fact of our life being pure and open before the people we're talking to. In other words, this is what he's saying. If somebody asks you about your faith and, and the hope that lieth in you, if they know some problems in your life, if they realize some sin in your life, it's going to be hard for you to give them a good answer of their question. Right? They ask you, what's the hope that lies in you? And you start telling them, well, what sense does that make? I, I know the sin in your life. This is how you live. This is how you do. What are you telling me? What you're saying don't even stack up. You know, that, that would have to be their, their natural response. And Peter said, we should be able to give them a good answer of the hope that lies in us. But it will happen when we have a good conscience before them. We know that in our hearts... We're right with God and we're right with them and, and everything's clear and open between us and God and us and them. And then we can speak to them and then they'll, they'll either listen or they'll just turn us off on their own accord. It won't be our fault, you see. We had to, need to have a good conscience in order to speak to, to someone like that. Furthermore, um, we need to have a, a good conscience in order to have confidence in prayer. Confidence in prayer. How can you have confidence 
that God really knows that you're praying what you mean? Why would God think that you're really saying what you mean in your prayers if your conscience is, is not good? If your conscience is not pure, you see? And in 1 John 3, it alludes to or speaks to that, even though it does not use the word conscience there, but it certainly speaks to the point. <clears throat> uh, let's just look at a, a place or two in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter, uh, first, first, uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> For our conscience to be like it should be, for our conscience to be good, one of the things that'll be, that'll have to be before our conscience can be good is that our doctrine is pure. The teachings of the scripture are understood by us and, and, and lived. In other words, we're doctrinally pure. We're living by the scripture. We're living by the words of Christ and, and the words of the Bible. Doctrinally pure. That's going to have to be if our conscience is to be good. 1 Timothy 1, um, verses 4 and 5. As you see there, he's saying some introductory words. And verse 4, neither... Uh, <clears throat> Give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, uh, so do. Uh, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And so you see there, I mean, he, he, he say you, you, can't, you can't be living like verse 4, uh, but you should be living like verse 5. A pure heart, unfeigned faith, a good conscience... And that's opposed to some of the things mentioned in, in, in verse 4. Look at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Our doctrine has to be right. Our doctrine has to be pure. And that will parallel with a good conscience. It can't, we can't expect to have a good conscience if we're strange with doctrine. If, if, if we don't, if our lives don't parallel with the teaching of the Word of God. Um, just turn over a page or two to chapter 4. Chapter 4, the first two verses. Chapter 4, the first two verses. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. See, their, their doctrine is off. Their, their, their faith is off. They're not believing. They're not understanding 
uh, what's right doctrine, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see what's happening? It's a progression. When they live like that, and I'm sure he, didn't, he may not have been putting all this in a specific order, except when he got to the last one about their conscience. Living like this, living like uh, verse 1, living like the beginning of verse 2, and then he said, their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's like they don't have a conscience anymore because it's been scabbed right over. It, it, it's been put to death, as it were. It's, it, it's so hard that it doesn't tell them anything. And that's a result of living like they're living. Departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, giving heed to doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. I'm sure he could have went on with the list, but he decided to stop there. And then he just said, those kind of things will sear your conscience. We must be doctrinally pure. There's various places. Um, Acts 24, Paul, in fact, I wrote that one down. Paul stood before the governor. And the fact was, he, he was saying, you know, my conduct has been pure and clear, and my conscience attest, testifies to that. Acts 24, 16, Paul to the governor. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Wow. That's, that's a statement. Why shouldn't it be mine and yours also? You want to put something on your refrigerator for this week or for, for this month? Maybe that would be a good verse to put there. Acts 24, 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. To have a good conscience, we also need to be ones that confess sin and seek forgiveness and so forth, like that. Um, um, making restitution if we need to make restitution. Um, Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Maybe you're saying, uh, God have mercy on me, I need to work on my conscience. God have mercy on me, I need a pure conscience. God have mercy on me, I, I need a good conscience. Well, I just read from God's word, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. I, I think it would be okay to say according to the scripture, he that covereth his sins uh, will not develop his conscience. 
he that covereth his sins won't have a good conscience. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And then God can hear you when you say, God, I need a better conscience. I, I, I need a more sensitive conscience. I need a clear conscience. I need a good conscience. I want a good conscience. That can happen as we confess and forsake our sin. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let me just um, conclude by just reading the verse, one of the first verses I, I read this morning, and that is the testimony of the Hebrew writer near the end of the writing of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, he said this, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. I hope that's your prayer and testimony. Uh, let's have a closing song. <clears throat>
Maybe someone has a word of testimony to share before we leave uh, today. Well, thank you for your kind attention. Let's stand for closing prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, uh, we confess that you have made us, uh, you have uh, created us, uh, you have made us as mankind different from your other creation because you said you made us in your own image. And as we live here in the physical, in the now, we confess that uh, some of the uh, <clears throat> dimensions of of our beings are, are hard for us to understand. But you've mentioned in your word these many times about our conscience, about that part of us that you care about, that part of us that you want to perfect. And Lord, I, I pray that we would have a desire uh, to grow more in your likeness in this area of our life to have a desire to have a good conscience, uh, a pure conscience, uh, uh, a conscience that's not defiled. And um, so, Lord, uh, in this area of our life, may you, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, help us to grow. And we would give you the, the glory for your work in our hearts and lives. We would honor you for it. May it be a blessing to us personally, a blessing as we relate to one another in the brotherhood and for your good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.